भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रं पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुवागम सस्तनु व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवा स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्तेर्णस्ताक्षोरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शातशाशाति हरि मे वी हियर विथ ओर इयर्स वॉट इज ऑस्पेशियस मे वी सी विथ ओर आईज वॉट इज ऑस्पेशियस वाइल प्रेइंग विथ स्टडी लिम्स मे वी अटेंड द लाइफ स्पैन अलॉटेड टू अस मे इंद्र बेस्टो वेलबिंग ऑन अस मे पुषण द गॉड of the earth who is all knowing best of well being on us may garuda the destroyer of evil best of well being on us may brihaspati also best of well being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we were studying the fifth and the sixth mantra of the last chapter of mundaka upanishad and in the sixth mantra we find that the concept of no return the realized soul doesn't tends migrate in the commentary of that mantra shankaracharya very beautifully illustrates the fact by saying that it is just like the footprints of a bird in the sky while flying there is no footprint or like a fish the footprint of a fish while swimming in the ocean it has no footprints it leaves no marks no linger no sign because it gets merged with the absolute the individuality which finds expression as this limited individuality merges in the absolute and that's the real individuality as swami vivekananda has indicated in one of the lectures when hearing about the mergence of the individual in the absolute the audience who was not at all prepared for that type of evolution spiritual evolution that however we may evolve we all are so much attached to our this limited individuality it sometimes make us extremely fearful about that idea we get scared about that idea we get traumatic about that idea that we lose our individuality and one from the audience stood up and almost screamed that what happens to my individuality swami when we merge in the absolute and swami vivekananda's reply was wonderful madam you are not individuals yet you become individual when you merge with the absolute what's the meaning that till we are attached to this limited psychophysical existence it's a composite it's made of various parts as will be spoken of in the very next mantra there are 16 parts in those who are bit uh, acquainted with the hindu scriptures they have heard of the concept of 16 kalas 16 parts sholokala that our individuality 
is constituted of 16 parts. So whatever is constituted of parts can be divided. It can fall apart. But when you merge in the absolute, it is not a composite. It is the something which is that, uh, in the words of Shankaracharya, it is something which is pure consciousness, unadulterated pure consciousness without any parts. So the word individual itself, you'll find it's what individual, that which cannot be divided. Individual means that which can be divided. Individual means that which cannot be divided. The core of our being can in no way be divided. It's beyond all compositions. So when we realize the absolute reality, which is the innate nature of our being, that pure consciousness, as was indicated in the sixth mantra, which we were studying in the last class. What was this mantra? Vedanta Vijnana Sunishchitartha Sanyasa Yoga Yataya Shuddha Satvaha Te Brahma Lokeshu Paranta Kale Paramritaha Parimuchyanti Sarve. So, what is Vedanta Vijnana Sunishchitartha? Is each and every word is significant that Vedanta is a, the knowledge of the self. So they could have just mentioned Vedanta Jnana, but instead of saying Jnana, they're using the word Vijnana. In the words of Sri Ramakrishna, Vishesh Rupe Jana, to know the thing in particular, not just from its general attributes, to know the thing specifically is Vijnana. It speaks of realization. It's not just a mere conceptual knowledge. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that reading the scripture is just like hearing the noise from a distance of a marketplace. From a distance, you hear just the noise. You feel it's just some noise is there. What, what are the things, the conversation is going on from a distance? You can never can never uh, conceptualize, you can never realize. You have to go to the marketplace and then you find what they're bargaining, what all prizes they are shouting, what the customers are coming and bargaining. bargaining. All those things can be specifically heard when you are in the market. So to know the noise of the market from a distance is just reading the scriptures. But it becomes sunishchita. With conviction, you know, with in totality, in details, specifically, you know when you are in the marketplace. So when you have become one with Brahman, it's no more that Brahman is not just a matter of my knowledge, that it is just a concept. I am contemplating on that concept. Even when I say Aham Brahmasmi, as long as I have not realized. Aham is something which is separate from Brahma. Though I am saying I am Brahma, actually I Brahma is something, I am something by with that using that word am that I'm trying to identify with it. But still, still the sense of duality is there. That's why it's being mentioned in many scriptures that Advaita is realization. It cannot be sadhana. It cannot be a practice. Even the one who is constantly meditating on the fact, Aham Brahmasmi, till he goes to the realization. 
Brahma is something, I am something. However, I may go on saying, I am Brahman. There's a two distinct idea. It's only when you go to the realization, how that realization happens, sannyasa yogat yataya shuddha sattvaha. The next phrase is, through the sannyasa yoga, when I, sannyasa means samyak rupe nyasa. When I renounce the, my interaction with this sunset world in totality, samyak, samyak means in totality, nyasa means renunciation, samyak nyasa, that, that not that something I keep for my enjoyment, remaining thing I just simply renounce. I renounce in totality, nothing I'm attached to. So with that type of yoga, with that type of spiritual practice, when your mind becomes shuddha sattva, when you are no more attached and with that unattached, unturnished mind, I'm trying to contemplate on the fact that aham brahmasmi, I am brahman. Constantly you're contemplating. Then what happens with a gradual practice, when that practice becomes habitual, there is no question of distraction from that thought. That when I am trying to keep my mind on a thought, it speaks of rajas, it speaks of activity. There's an effort. But with a gradual practice, when it has become habitual, the effort factor has gone. The mind is spontaneously, constantly contemplating on the fact that aham brahmasmi. It's not going to a state of stupor. When the mind for the first time becomes very tranquil, we find that the mind goes to a state of stupor. I have overcome that also. It is neither going to the state of tamas, nor it is going breaking down into thousands of thoughts, nor do I have to use the effort to keep my mind concentrated on the thought. There's a mind, there's a thought that aham brahmasmi, it has become habitual. It's just like a flow. Then what happens? Then the ignorance falls off. The sense of limited identity that I am this body-mind complex has been hammered off by that thought that aham brahmasmi. You have hammered it out. And it is this immediate, uh, this limited idea of individuality that is like the hub of the will, which that will is constitutes a psychophysical existence. So you have removed the hub. All the spikes are like, are the, likes and dislikes, all the attachments. So they are attached to that hub that I am this limited being. All our desires are linked to this limited sense of individuality. I like this, I dislike this. When that I falls off, all such likes and dislikes falls off all at once. And when it happens, it takes you to that realization. So it, you will understand, it's not mere concept. It speaks of some practice. That's the sannyasa yoga, yataya, shuddha sattva. Through the practice of sannyasa yoga, with total renunciation, when the mind is in constantly contemplating, and that contemplation has become habitual, which has enabled the relinquishment of the ego in totality. It has hammered it off. And then, in a flash, the realization comes. So the amnes is still there, but it has lost its locality. It has gone beyond the limited notions of time, space, causation. You 
get established in that. It is something noetic. That noetic means what? You are sure about your realization. When I see a red flower, I know I have seen. If someone says and says it's a hallucination, I will say just simply, just move out. I know I'm seeing it. It's something I'm perceiving it. How can it be just a mere false? So that speaks of sunishchitartha. That, that speaks of noetic realization that I am sure it's not mere conceptualization. It's not mere imagination. I have realized the truth, but at the same time, it is ineffable. You cannot describe it. In our scripture, it says, manasagocharam. I know it is experienceable, but it cannot be describable. You cannot describe it. Just as Sri Ramakrishna says, ghi na ghi. when you test the clarified butter, you know it has a test. You have experienced it, but can you explain? No. If you ask a mother that what's the joy of having the child, children, the mother can at the most say, oh, you cannot, I cannot explain. It is inexplicable. Then how to explain? The only way is you become the mother. If her friend is asking her that you have become the mother, can you explain the joy of becoming the mother? You really have to be the mother. Then only you can understand what's the joy of being a mother. I cannot explain it. So that is experienceable, but not describable. So that's the almost same thing happens with a man of realization. So that's why he's sunishchita. It's not mere concept. He's very, very convinced about his realization. And how it has happened? Through the sannyasa yoga, which has led him to that Shuddha Sattva, state of Shuddha Sattva. Then what happens? Te Brahma Lokeshu Parantakale Paramrita Parimuchyanti Sarve. That makes him identified with the Brahman. Parantakale, at the time of death, as long as living, with the realization what happens? That all the Sanchita Karma, all the actions which he has done, the sanskaras related to it, they are not going to yield result anymore. But the actions which has already started yielding result, that has to be exhausted. So he lives for some time, as long as the karma is not exhausted, the prarabdha is not exhausted. But then when the prarabdha is exhausted, he's like any other mortal beings, his life is also going to come to an end. But that is parantakala. That is the time for others, they have to come back again. But for him, that's the last. He's not going to come back anymore. So that's why it is called para antakale. For us, it is just mere antakala. For him, it is para. Why it is para supreme, uh, that supreme end? Because after that, he's not going to keep any trace of his footsteps. That's what Shankaracharya is saying, and poetically. Why? And then what happens? Does he get annihilated? No. Is he becomes non-existent? No. His physical existence becomes non-existent. When in Buddhism we speak of nirvana, it is the extinguishing, nirvana means to extinguish. It is the extinguishing extinguishment of of this limited psychophysical existence, but it he in essence becomes amrita. He becomes one with that absolute reality, which is sat chit ananda swarupa. That sat 
Chit Ananda doesn't speak of any attributes, but it speaks of such speaks of the negation of the limited idea of our individuality. I become, I am infinite, and that infinite nature, which is beyond time space causation, is Chit Swarup. It's not mere inert matter, it is consciousness, it is awareness, and which is beyond all sorts of duality. That is Ananda Swarupa. There is no question of vexation from joy to sorrow as we find in our life. It is just unadulterated bliss. So he gets merged in that state. So it is not something negative. It is the negation of the limited individuality that's being indicated by the word Paramrita. He attains the immortality. And by relinquishing everything which belongs to this sunset world, parimuchyanti survey. That sannyasa yoga has resulted in that relinquishment of all the mental modules all at once. It has all fallen off to render him freedom. There is no comeback. So this is the idea which will be again reinstated in the next mantra with elaboration that how that merging happen, that, that mergence happen, how the, the limited individuality merges in the absolute, that's being uh, vividly described in the seventh mantra. So let's uh, go to the, read the seventh mantra and then we will go to the discussion. The, what it is saying, Gata Kala Panchadasha Pratishtha Devascha Sarve Prati Devatasu Karmani Vigyana Mayascha Atma Pare Avyaye Sarve Eki Bhavanti Gata Kala Panchadasha Pratishtha The 15, here it is speaking of 15 parts. Actually it is 16 parts. The moment because of ignorance, the absolute appears as the cosmic mind, as the prana, as the hiranyagarbha. It constantly evolutes into another 15 parts to render us, to give us the, to define us as this limited individuality. So all those 15 parts that gradually evolves, all those evolutes, they evolve and they conglomerate to form our individuality, limited individuality, they start falling off. We will come to the discussion what those 15 parts has been spoken of, what they are. Devascha Sarve Prati Devatasu. Here the word Deva means the sense organs, all the senses. Why the senses are called Deva in Sanskrit. The Devas mean the celestial beings. It also means the sense organs. Why the sense organs are called Deva? The word Deva has came from Div Dhatu. Div means to illumine. To illumine means to Div. Div means to illumine. So all the senses actually illumines the world for us. Whatever I see with my eyes, the external world is being illumined with my eyes. The sound is illumined by my ears. The smell is illumined by my nose, the taste by my tongue, and the touch is illumined by my skin. So as this external world is illumined by the senses, the senses are also called Deva. Now this 
In Vedanta, there's the idea that there is a presiding deity of each of these senses. And we have as if hired the senses from those presiding deities to render us the sense of individuality. The moment we come into the ignorance, we have to hire the senses from all those presiding deities of the senses. And whereas in our day-to-day world, when you hire anything, you have to pay the hiring charges. As long as you are hiring anything, you have to pay. So we have to pay the hiring charges in the form of sensed perception. We will come. It's, it's not something mere poetic. It do have some real uh, significance. Even in, this, in a scientific way, we can understand what it is speaking of. So what it is saying, saying that when, when you go to the realization, there is no need to hire the senses because everything falls off. So these senses, I, it was not mine. It had its own presiding deity from which I have hired. So they go back to them as I, there's no need to hire anymore. So Devascha Sarve Prati Devatasu. It has some really, really, really a very deep significance, which we will come to the discussion. Karmani Vigyana Mayascha Atma. So all your actions, as we were mentioning even in the previous mantra, all the actions, they also are not going to yield results anymore. The Prarabdha is going to be exhausted, but all the Sanchita Karma, all the Agami Karma, or the Kriyamana Karma, which is going to yield result in the future. Kriyamana means that actions which I'm doing now, its results will be, yield, uh, will be yielded in the future. So all this Kriyamana, Sanchita, all the actions which I've done in the past, they're not going to yield any result. They all fall off. Then what happens? Vigyana Mayascha Atma Pare Avyaye Sarve Eki Bhavanti. Vigyana Mayascha Atma. These words are very important. The absolute reality is appeared as the limited jiva, individual, as this limited individual being. How it is happening? How it has happened? Because the absolute is being reflected in the intellect. Here the this intellect is being indicated by the word Vigyanamaya. As you know that Vigyanamaya Kosha speaks of the intellect. So in the Vigyanamaya Kosha, when the absolute gets reflected and that reflection, that reflection, uh, the self now gets identified with the reflection and then all other delusion happens. So first it gets identified with that reflection. So here when it says Vigyana Chatma, it speaks of that, that my identity with the reflection of the self in my intellect, that also falls off. Pare avyaye sarve eki bhavanti. And then you get merged in the self, which is the self of all. So what happens? There is no question of fear. That in my process of getting merging with the absolute, there may be so many hindrances that others may hinder me. But there is no question of hindrance because you are getting, you are merging in the self, which is the self of all. It's the self of all. All the clash is in the surface, is in the superficial level. The more we go deep into our existence, 
the more we get one with the entire existence. So there is no question of confrontation. You cannot fight with yourself. As in the Bhagavatam, there is a very nice sloka that whom you blame while taking food when your tongue gets bitten by your teeth. There is no question of confrontation because all are the from the same existence. So you get merged in that absolute from where there is no return. So what here actually it is describing? So it is describing vividly what has been spoken of in the previous mantra. That's Gatakala Panchadasha Pratishtha. So what is this 50? This in Prashna Upanishad, it has been spoken of that the Purusha, the when we get individualized in this limited individual psych, as, a, as a limited psychophysical existence, then we get, uh, we gradually evolve into 16 parts and those 16 parts conglomerate to give us our individuality. What are those 16 parts? First is the Hiranyagarbha, the prana. It is, it is the prana in the absolute sense. So the prana, first is the prana. That means the cosmic mind. From there, these are big archaic because you know this, sometimes the modern scientific language, if we re- read after say, after 100 years, this, all these terminologies will appear to be a bit obscure. So when we are studying the Upanishads, we should always consider this fact that they are speaking of some knowledge for which the terminologies which were they were using has become obscure nowadays. So they may appear to be a bit archaic. But if we try to understand from their background, we will find they do have meaning. What they're saying that the cosmic mind, the first evolved from it is Sraddha. Sraddha means the stimulus for good actions. You may say, isn't it archaic? That from the cosmic mind, First comes Shraddha, the stimulus for good actions. What does it mean? You'll find the same idea is even in the Bhagavad Gita. Any good actions, what is the good action? Good action means whenever I am trying to help others, that is good action. The very simple definition. Whenever I'm harming others, it is evil. Paropokara punyaya, papaya parapiranam. When you're inflicting pain on others, it is papa. All our good and bad actions very simply can be defined as this. That whenever you are trying to synergize with the world, that is good. Whenever you are trying to exclude others in your attempt to uh, excel or enjoy the world, you exploit others, that is bad action. So what it has been spoken of, the first evolution is Sraddha. That the law, when the cosmic mind was finding expression as this universe of which we are also a part, he, was, he has programmed the entire cosmos with the idea of Yajna, the equivalent of Sraddha, which has been spoken of in the uh, in Mundaka Upanishad, in, in Prashna Upanishad, the equivalent is Yajna in Bhagavad Gita. You will find in Bhagavad Gita, it has been mentioned that God is saying, Bhagavan is saying, Sahayagya Praja When I created this universe, I created 
it along in the with the association of yagya yagya means give and take when we do a fire sacrifice what's the idea i offer some oblations in the fire fire is the mouth for all other devas when the fly, fire is moving up when i pour the oblation it moves up it takes the oblation to the deva to all those cosmic beings to whom i am offering why i'm offering that the cosmic being will be pleased the rain god will be pleased with me and will give profuse rain so this is a very specific meaning but the broad meaning is what that there is the idea of give and take that i offer so that in return someone the one the particular deva will offer me something so when bhagavad gita says the entire world is associated with yagya it actually means the entire world is associated with this interrelatedness interdependence nothing can stand apart from anything else so shraddha means that that stimulus for good action from that first that's there should be the good motivation and from then what for any creation first you have to have a good motivation and then you need some constituents the materials so all the five objects of senses when they say that akasha vayu jyoti aap prithivi these five are the constituents of the entire world we may say again it's rk what it's meaning there we know there are so many elements and they are saying only five thing and that also as uh, this space uh, air vayu jyoti means uh, this fire apa means water and prithivi means the earth these are the five constituents so again we are not relating to those terminology in the way they have used what actually it is saying it is actually speaking of five sense objects that with eyes whatever i see that speaks of jyoti but without light i cannot see with ears whatever i hear that when you are going on this when you are going on flight you put an ear plug when you want to sleep you put an ear plug why the space in the ear has to be closed so that noise can be you can avoid the noise so the space in the ear uh, in your ear drum in the ear drum it allows the this ear drum to vibrate if the space is blocked it cannot vibrate and that space as an immediate that space which allows the ear drum to vibrate is the direct cause for the noise so vayu is related to hearing not sorry this come the space is uh, related to hearing vayu of touch why it is touch it is actually when whenever there is a touch it is the change of the bionic pressure in the subcutaneous level which is being transmitted as a sense of touch so vayu a sense of touch jyoti of course light we need light for seeing apa if your tongue is dry you cannot taste anything it has to be salivated so that's why that what is the immediate cause of the five sense perception prithivi that we get this allergy pollen allergy what happens that smell comes when this the direct the earth particle the flower is nothing but the earth getting converted into the flower and that's is converting into getting converted into the pollen which in comes with your this uh, the uh, what you say in the with your nose and then you can smell so when they are speaking of five elements is actually speaking of 
the five perceptions. It's not that just these five elements are there, which are the space, air, uh, light, uh, and this water and earth. It actually speaks the immediate reason for perception. So it created these five elements, five objects of perception. And then it created these sense organs has been created to perceive them. And whatever we perceive, that has to be consolidated with the mind. As we know, all our perceptions are piecemeal. We could have never seen the red flower as red flower if our mind wouldn't have consolidated all the piecemeal perceptions. Even in science, they will say, but when I see a flower, it's not that the entire flower is seen in one part of the mind. Actually, what is happening? The redness is perceived in the color perception center. The shape of the flower is perceived in some other center. It's fragrance in some other center. It's texture in some other center. And all those, the mind consolidates them to give you a sense of this whole flower with particular fragrance, with particular sense of touch. So the mind consolidates what you have seen. So these also are the constituents. And then that I with my mind, that one with my senses I am perceiving, but not only that, I need the fuel for my energy. Otherwise I cannot, just with perception you cannot work. It has to find expression as karma, as action. <clears throat> so there should be some food, the anna, which is getting converted into virya the energy obtained from the food. And now you have the sense of perceptions, you are equipped now. You have the prana shakti, the, the virya, the vitality. Now I have to move out to do my actions. So then the next constituent is mantra. And uh, even in the commentary, this the four Vedas has been meant by the mantra. But actual meaning of the word mantra is mananath trayate iti mantra. Even in our day-to-day -day life, before, suppose, suppose you want to construct a building. It's not that on the day one itself, you will be bringing all the building materials. First, you have to prepare a blueprint. That is, you're just trying to conceptualize through your thoughts. So that is mananath trayate. That I, nature has forced me to stay uh, outdoors and be vulnerable to the forces of nature. But I revolt against that. I, what you say, I liberate myself from all the limitations which the nature has put upon me. I triate, I, how? By making the home. But for making the home, first I conceptualize. First it is a blueprint. So that's the, this blueprint is the mantra. And then I need tapas. Tapasya means the delaying or overcoming the gratifications, immediate gratifications, so that you can attain the long-term gains. So whenever you have conceptualized something and now you have to have tapas, you have to overcome all the so-called the gratifications, the immediate impulses. And that then next piece of karma, I delay my gratifications, I overcome my gratifications and I resort to some fruitful actions, karma, that will lead to loka. Means a small child by his studies at last gets established in a professional course, uh, in a, in a professional course, which leads him to some good profession. So the loka, if we say after death, attaining some heaven, 
that's also true but we attend lokas even in this world with all our karma and with all our tapas that you get established in life you work for a particular firm that firm is a loka for you and then nama and when you are working for that firm not only that people will ask you in what position you are working that position becomes the nama so now with the present context if you try to relate those words they do have a meaning that it's trying to explain our individuality from the very spiritual source to what i am doing in my day to day life and it can be explained with the 16 constituents so when you go to the realization they all start falling off there's no need for that that all these things with which gradually i has i have built up my personality they start falling off it has served its purpose there is no need for them devascha sarve prati devadasu that we were saying that all the indriyas all the sense organs have their corresponding deities from whom i have as if hired the senses what it actually means very interesting even if you ask a doctor it's a very common experience that if you lose your sight in the old age a very peculiar thing happens you will be hallucinating you have no vision but you will be constantly hallucinating seeing many things not only that if you are means uh, kept in a room which is totally dark for certain time for one hour two hour you will you are bound to hallucinate you start hallucination it's a very very uh, well established experiment in modern science that when your all your senses are cut off you are kept in a room which is totally pitch dark in no time not even one hour within 40 minutes or something you start hallucinating why it happens because it really speaks of that our senses are there is a need for constantly to feed them you have to constantly feed them if you are not feeding them they will start just uh, generating visions generating sound if you can totally keep keep yourself totally aloof from sight sound you will really start hallucinating you will hear so many things what it speaks of these indriyas are as long as we are attached to these indriyas that it needs to be fed constantly it needs to be fed so this indriya the tax of the indriya the hiring charges of the indriya is this perception constantly you have to perceive if you don't per, if you just try to cut off all the perceptions you will find in the form of hallucinations the perceptions will constantly go on it will uh, totally uh, unplug you will just it will be it will be so disturbed so when you go to the realization then you don't need these indriyas anymore for him even if you cut off him from all the sense sense that, uh what you see the sensed interactions there won't be any such hallucinations for him because he has the the need for all the senses has fallen off from him he doesn't need them they they are returned back to as the deities of the senses so the organ of hearing is resolved back to the subtle akasha the organ of touch goes back to the subtle vayu the organ of vision goes back to the subtle fire the organ of taste goes back to the subtle water apa and the uh, this organ of smell goes back to the subtle prithvi means what 
but they merge in their causal state. I don't, there's no need for me to hire them anymore. So they resolve back to there. Karmani, as we were speaking of in the last uh, mantra, that all the actions which have not yet begun bearing fruits, like the Sanchita, the Kriyamana, they will fall off. Only the Prarabdha has to be exhausted through experience. Other things fall off. Vigyanamayaschatma, the reflection of the absolute in the intellect. It is like the reflection of the sun uh, in the water in a tray. So when the water and the, when, the, when the tray is destroyed, there's naturally, but there's no reflection. So when you can go beyond the psychophysical existence, there is no question of reflection in the intellect. So when the water and the tray is destroyed, the reflection where, where it goes, it merges with the sun. So likewise, the pure consciousness, so through ignorance, it was identified by its reflection in buddhi. And that was appearing as the individual soul, as the jivatma. Now that reflection has merged in the pure consciousness, in the absolute, because of the destruction of the ignorance. So that's what's meant by the merging of the vijnana maestra atma in the absolute. So here we should understand that liberation is not an effect. Because I am always the self. It is because of the ignorance I was thinking myself as, the, myself as this limited individuality with thousands of desires and wants. The moment that ignorance falls off, I was forgetful of my real nature. I again regain my identity with what I am. So you are not attaining something. You are already the self. So an affect does not exist before it was produced. But the self was already there. So the Brahman is immortal. It ever exists. You just forgot your real nature. You now again become identified with me. So this idea, which has been spoken of in this mantra, is being explained with an illustration in the next mantra. That all the constituents fall off and your the reflection of the self in your buddhi. That gets, when this your uh, psychophysical existence falls off, what happens? This reflection merges with the absolute. As Swami Vivekananda, when he went, visited the Niagara Falls, he saw that the rainbow is always there. It's always there. In the Niagara Falls, if you go, you can see the rainbow always there. Seeing that, Swami Vivekananda immediately conceptualized a wonderful allegory. He said, see, the sun is like the absolute. This rainbow is like God, the concept of God. This falls is like, the Niagara Falls is like this, our existence in this world of relativity. Why this uh, uh, fall is like this li uh, limited existence? Because in this existence, everything is flowing. Your mind is constantly changing, jumping from thought to thought. Everything is flowing. Your body, the constituents of your body is constantly changing. Nothing is permanently stabilized here. Everything is in a flow. And that's what the meaning of the word samsara. Samsara teiti samsara. That which is constantly flowing. That's samsara. Jagat. That which is constantly moving. From Gamdha to the word Jagat came. That which is constantly moving. So this flow is the world. In this world, we have an idea of something absolute. 
that idea of absolute why why we have that because really something absolute is being reflected through this flow to appear as something absolute the rainbow is the reflection of the sun the sun is something permanent the niagara falls is constantly flowing that something permanent reflects in the flow to give the permanent idea of the rainbow the rainbow is always there so that's why swamiji used to say the so called concept of god which we have that god is the highest reading of the absolute so in this world of change everything when i look at this world everything is changing in this change i have an idea of something absolute behind it that's not the real absolute it's the reflection of the absolute in the flow in the form of the rainbow so that's the idea of god when or the idea of this uh, the hiranyagarbha from which everything has evolved so that's the rainbow the cosmic mind that gives an idea of the absolute the buddhi whatever you say when the niagara falls if just think it has got dried off or it's no more there then will the rainbow stay no the rainbow also will vanish it is because of this niagara falls the rainbow is there the idea of god which we have that also is going to vanish if this samsara is not there god is as long as the samsara is there but will the sun vanish no the sun is always there then when has this rainbow gone it has merged in the sun nothing else as long as this flow was there the rainbow was there when the flow is not there the rainbow has vanished but it has not gone to nothingness it is just the sun rays which was reflected as rainbow it has merged with that if you keep a prism in front of a white light it breaks into the spectrum of the seven colors you remove the prism the spectrum is gone where it has gone it has merged in the white light so that's been spoken of so the moment that the your mind there is no more reflection in the mind of the absolute because your mind along with your idea of limited individuality has fallen off then what happens you are not annihilated you become merged with the absolute that was spoken of in the last mantra that all the 15 constituents fall off this is now being illustrated with an example in the eighth mantra what it is saying yatha nadya syandamana samudre just the way when the rivers merge in the ocean as long as they have not merged in the ocean they have their identity that this is ganges this is the river nile this is brahmaputra all these names are something by which i can define the river as long as they have not merged in the ocean the moment they have merged in the ocean can you say where the nile is where the ganga is it has all become one so that's the idea which is spoken of in the next mantra yatha nadya syandamana samudre that all the rivers flowing down become indistinguishable how the tongue gachanti nama rupe vihaya they as if renounce their nama rupa that the name ganga it had a particular geography it has a particular flow that gives it that's that gives it the rupa that all has merged in the ocean so it it lives off it gives off its name and form 
as the rivers flowing down become indistinguishable on reaching the ocean by giving up their names and forms. Tatha vidwan nama rupat vimuktaha paratpara purusham upaiti divyam. Similarly, the illumined soul, having freed from name and form, nama rupat vimukta. What happens? He reaches that self effulgent purusha that is greater than the great. Now you will understand that why we were giving the example of the rainbow. Greater than the great. In this, as long as we are in this world of relative universe, that rainbow gives us the concept of God, that is the great. When this has, this fall has dried up, rainbow is not there. Where it has gone, it has merged in the absolute. So this sun is greater than the great, is greater than the rainbow. As long as I am in this relative world, it appears as the great, this rainbow, it is always there. I am changing, but it never changes. So I think it is the absolute, but it is not the absolute, it is a reflection of the absolute is something changing. When the something permanent is reflected in something which is flowing, that gives a projection of something else which appears to be absolute. So that appears to be great, but that is not the ultimate great. That's there's something greater than that. That's being indicated by the word parat para. That self-effulgent purush, which is greater than the great. When, when it happens, just when like the rivers have merged in the ocean, giving up its individuality. Similarly, when the Vidwan, Vidwan means the knower of Brahman, who has known, who has realized who has, uh, the realization has entailed in the relinquishment of name and form. So the prism has, is no more there. So the spectrum, which I was thinking as absolute, that merges in the Purusha. So the word greater here refers to the Brahman with attributes. The Saguna Brahman, which appears as Ishwara, which is the highest entity in this relative world. That merges in the pure consciousness, which is being termed as the Purusham here. So this with this example, the Upanishad is just illustrating the fact which has been spoken of in the previous mantra. And now to know the Brahman is to become one with Brahman. That will be spoken of in the ninth mantra. So today we will conclude our discussion with this ninth mantra. What it is saying? Sa, here. Havai tat paramang brahma veda brahmaiva bhavati. This one who knows Brahman becomes Brahman. Na asya brahmavit kule bhavati. And in the lineage of all those, this brahma jnani, means the one who has realized Brahman, he has realized the absolute and he initiates into that knowledge of Brahmagyana to his disciples, who also follows the path of his guru and goes to the realization. And then his disciple also follows the same procedure. So that is the parampara. Here the kula means the lineage. is a spiritual lineage, not the biological lineage, the spiritual lineage. So in that lineage, that guru-kshishya parampara, 
all follow the same procedure to go to that realization. So that way it is actually extolling that the knowledge which comes through that spiritual lineage. So they all following the path goes to that same realization. By knowing they become one with Brahman. And what's the result? Tarati Shokam. They transcend all misery. Misery is Shoka. Tarati Papmanam. They transcend all so-called sin. Guha Granthibhya Vimukto Amrito Bhavani. By cutting asunder the knots of his hurt, he becomes immortal. So this is the idea which we find is again reinstated in the Upanishad again and again. So that it goes deep into our psyche and motivates us to reach this ultimate fulfillment which is possible in this human birth. In no other life it is possible. As a human being, this we have this specific, we have this unique quality to realize the self which is the ultimate cause of this entire existence. So the one who knows Brahman, he becomes Brahman. What is that idea is? So when anyone knows the Supreme Brahman as I am Brahman, that's what it is that when I know the flower, I don't know it that it is, I don't know it by that with the concept that I am the flower. I am something separate from the flower. But when you are contemplating on Brahman, what's the idea? It's I am that. And this contemplation, so this knowledge, at the beginning there is two different ideas, that Brahman and I. When I say Aham Brahmasmi, the con- there are two different concepts. But through practice, when the in- this, this Aham Brahmasmi, this constant contemplation, hammers off the limited ego, then what happens? This concept is no more uh, uh, a concept. It becomes a realization. Then the ego has fallen off, totally uh, annihilating your sense of limited individuality, and you become one with Brahman. The local consciousness merges in that non-local consciousness. So the one who knows Brahman becomes Brahman. So that's the thing. And anyone who follows this path with the Guru Shishya Parampara, they all go to the same type of realization. They all become the knowers of Brahman. They all become one with Brahman. So, and no one can even create an obstacle in this path of knowing. In our day-to-day life, when I want to attain something which is apart from me, someone can come and create an obstacle because the thing which I need is something apart from me. But here there is no question of obstacle because the thing which I need is not apart from me. It is the self of me and that also is the self of all. So the more you go within, all the so-called conflicts fall off because you are more and more relating to something which is unified. As we gave that example in the last class in India, if you go to any sea beach, the poor fishermen, they have small boats. With that, they want to go to f- go for fishing. And you will find a very interesting thing. They try to go deep into the waters. A huge wave comes, throws them again to the shore. But they are very persevering. They again will try. With Again, the repeated attempts at last, they can break this so-called wave barrier. They know 
these waves are only in the so-called shores. If you can go a bit deep, the water is calm, tranquil. So if somehow I can break these wave barriers, I can enjoy the tranquility of the ocean. So all this conflict struggle is in the shore of our existence. The waves are in the shores of our existence. Then when the river, when the ocean is breaking into waves, each and every wave has its own identity. But when there is no wave, it is all one with the ocean. So as long as there's this limited individuality identity, then only the question of conflict comes. The question of transcending them comes. The struggle comes. Somehow when you've transcended that, then you are in the tranquil ocean. Nothing can disturb you. And that's the idea, Tarati Shokam. You have transcended all the grief because all the hankering for desirable things has fallen off. All the mental modules have fallen off once for all, taking you to that tranquil depth of your existence, the ocean, where you can enjoy the fishing like the fisherman without any disturbance. So Tarati Shokam, Tarati Papmanam. What's the question how, that why we tend to do uh, this, uh, what you say, the acts which are thought of, which are spoken of as wise because of ignorance. As long as I am attached to this sense of in, limited individuality, the question of grabbing something from the external world comes. And that grabbing, when it is obsessive, I forget the so-called idea of cooperating with others, it gets converted into vice. So, but when the idea of the individual self has fallen off, then there is no question of grabbing something. And the vice also is bound to fall off. As that example, which we give again and again, when Swami Vivekananda was passing through the desert, he, saw, he was thirsty. He wanted, he was in search of water. He saw the huge reservoir. He was proceeding towards it. Suddenly it vanished. Then the idea came, it was mirage. The next day when again he was walking, again he saw it. As long as he's in the mind and senses, he's bound to see that mirage again. But as he has realized that it is a mirage, that doesn't mean I won't see the reservoir again. I see it, but there's a difference. It cannot drag me. And when this world loses its power to drag me, the question of wise doesn't come. It has lost. As long as it is dragging me, I will have to use my willpower to uh, resist it. But when I know it is a mere projection, there's no need for any willpower. You have transcended virtue and vice. All the virtue and vice is applicable to the world of ignorance. When the ignorance has fallen off, you have now got identified with the absolute. There's no question of being drawn towards by the sensitive pleasures of the world. And once you're not drawn towards it, the question of vice doesn't come. So you simply transcend all the so-called adharma, the vice. You go beyond the virtue and vice. How it happens? Guha granthibhyo vimukta amrito bhavati. So the guha, guha granthibhyo, the knots of your, the cave of your heart. Guha is the cave of your heart. Granthi means all the knots. Vimukta, they all has fallen off, cut asunder. Once the ego is shattered, they're all bound to fall off. And that makes you Amrita. 
this sense of with the sense of limited individuality is a question of annihilation again taking birth in a new body so this cycle goes on when this all this uh, uh, what you say the small desires has fallen off when all the mental modules has fallen off you are identified with the absolute there is no question of transmigrating no question of death you are what you are you are in that eternal present in that existence which is always there without any annihilation without any change you are one with it there is no question of losing it so when the knots of the heart is cut asunder then you become immortal as we have already studied in the same upanishad in the eighth mantra of the second chapter of the second part that famous mantra that's vidyate hridaya granthi chidyante sarva sankshaya kshiyante chasya karmani tasmin drishte paravare but when you have realized that absolute all the knots of your heart have cut asunder all the doubts have vanished all your actions which were yet to which has yet to real result they also fall off not to ill results anymore and rendering you that ultimate freedom the ultimate fulfillment so that's the idea which is we spoken of in the ninth mantra so another two mantras are remaining where we conclude this upanishad so we will take up those the concluding mantras again in the next class and that will be followed by just synopsis of this last chapter of this mundaka upanishad so with this we conclude our class today thank you all namaskars